You're listening to Startup Impact Radio, the podcast about entrepreneurs and their vision for changing the world. This show is for people who love stories about startups making the world a better place and the occasional drink recommendation. My co-host is Scott Tobe, CEO of Signature Financial Planning, and I'm Joel Reed, CEO of OpenArc. Today, we're talking about Vigilant Ops with CEO Ken Zalewski, who is an entrepreneur and medical device cybersecurity professional. We'll discuss everything there is to know about making an impact in the world of healthcare and cybersecurity. Thanks for joining us, Ken. Thank you, Scott, and thank you, Joel. So I'm curious, Ken, what is your vision for the company? I mean, why, why is it that you exist? Yeah, no, thank you, Scott. It's a great question. And, you know, Vigilant Ops uh, started in the, the medical device sector, and uh, the vision really was to make, uh, make medical devices safer for patients at the end of the day. And we're all after patient safety uh, from uh, hospitals uh, through medical device manufacturers. Uh, the, the, the goal is there uh, to protect uh, patients uh, from harm. Uh, so the first, uh, first line of defense is shoring up your safety. Uh, which medical device manufacturers have been doing for a long time with respect to patient safety. But then uh, if you think about medical devices today, uh, they're largely computers uh, that are sitting on networks inside hospitals. And so what's the next thing you worry about is security. <laughs> so uh, if you can't secure the, the medical device, then uh, in a lot of cases, you can't operate the medical device, uh, in which causes patient harm. And so uh, when I saw uh, kind of the gap in medical technology with respect to cybersecurity, uh, it looked like uh, we could uh, uh, do a, uh, let's say, a, a better job or, or at least try to, to help um, improve that piece of it from a security perspective. All right, Ken, that's great. So you started to answer this, but uh, every good story has a hero who overcomes an obstacle to get to a treasure. And we like to tell stories on this show. Mm. So you started to talk about the hero of that story. I think it's the medical device manufacturers. Can you just talk to us a little bit about um, who your target customers are, why they would engage you with you, what they're, and then we'll get into the challenges they have sec secondly. Sure. Yeah, that, that, that's good. Thank you, Joel. So yeah, the, uh, on the medical device uh, manufacturer side, um, you think about medical device manufacturers uh, ranging from small uh, startups <clears throat> to all the way to the large uh, medical device manufacturers that we all know and love. Uh, they've got thousands upon thousands of devices installed globally. Uh, and really, um, that whole gamut is is our target customer. Uh, we, uh, we help uh, the small device manufacturers who maybe don't have the bandwidth or the resources to respond to security issues around cybersecurity, um, all the way through to uh, the larger manufacturers uh, who may have teams already in place, but are doing a lot of this stuff manually. Uh, if you look back uh, a few years, um, data privacy was the big issue. Um, HIPAA, high tech, uh, protected health information, PHI, uh, were the buzzwords um, maybe six or seven years ago. Uh, and uh, medical device manufacturers had to respond to that uh, in, a, in a big way, uh, supporting HIPAA high tech and what they call business associate agreements and kind of putting uh, their money where their mouth was uh, in terms of protecting patient data. 
And that now we're moving in that same direction with security. So device manufacturers really are on the firing line uh, in some sense to maintain the security of their devices long after they're deployed. Uh, and now FDA is pushing for prior to deployment. So now you've got this whole life cycle of device security that begins from really design all the way through to uh, launch and support in the field. And so what we're, what we're trying to do is partner with those device manufacturers to help them. A lot of them, as I mentioned, the smaller ones may not have the resources or skill set to understand the security aspects of their devices. Uh, and then also the larger ones who are doing a lot of it manually today. Uh, so that, that's, that's pretty much our target market is really across the board uh, from a device manufacturer perspective. And, uh, and then you flip it around to the hospital. And so when you go to uh, install these devices or deploy these devices, there's also security considerations there. So there are network security considerations that hospitals have to take into account. Uh, and there are also best practices when it comes to protecting those devices on an ongoing basis. And uh, we also help hospitals on that side of the fence too. So we help them deploy devices in a, in a more secure manner. Okay. So you have two different sets of customers then? That's right. Yes, we do. Yes. Okay. Both the, uh, the, the hospitals or the, um, uh, the more general term is healthcare delivery organizations or HDOs and the device manufacturers. Gotcha. Thanks, Ken. I, I think it's obvious to, uh, to everyone why device security would be so important. Um, but uh, I'm curious, what, what are the obstacles to the securitization of these devices and how big of a problem is this? Well, it's a, that's a good question. That's a really big problem, Scott. And I think um, uh, the, if you think about just, there are two aspects, well, at least two aspects of it that, that kind of uh, split up nicely. One is uh, deployed devices or what they sometimes are referred to as legacy devices. There are millions of those throughout the globe, right? Um, and we know a lot of those. I'm, I'm sure everybody's heard uh, uh, WannaCry or these uh, Log4j vulnerabilities hit uh, and healthcare is impacted dramatically because they're all, um, most folks are running the same components, same software components that are uh, supplied by off the shelf, uh, either commercial off the shelf or open source uh, providers or vendors. Uh, and they're all uh, suspect to vulnerabilities. Uh, and so the problem there uh, from a legacy perspective is how do you protect these uh, going forward uh, and how do you protect each of these individual components as they run on these devices? So that's a big problem. And the second piece is uh, how do you protect these devices as you're building them? And how do you know that you're building in the most secure device possible? So there are two big aspects there and it's a really big problem uh, for healthcare uh, with respect to protecting devices that are in the field and then also making sure they're getting secure devices, you know, kind of out of the box. As a software engineer background myself, I, I can imagine the scope of this problem is pretty big, uh, Ken. Mm -hmm. um, just thinking of all the components that go into any piece of software. Um, are, have there been, you know, industry studies on how many devices are vulnerable out there right now or the severity of those or the risk of being hacked anything that you could point us to sure yeah there are, there are lots of good security reports you can you can uh, find that kind of information ibm puts out a good security report on an annual basis uh, but by large uh let's start with a kind of high level uh, about 84 percent of software systems out there today are running some kind of a component, software component that's either, as I mentioned, commercial off the shelf or open source. Uh, there are still millions of those devices that are running outdated operating systems that are still susceptible to things even like WannaCry today. Uh, so there's a large percentage of devices 
uh, that are still susceptible to vulnerabilities uh, that just haven't been patched yet. Um, there, there's also a big issue around uh, connectivity and devices that uh, are sometimes connected and sometimes not. And so you have devices that they uh, manufacturers uh, in essence can't get to to patch. And so you have this kind of scheduling nightmare as well. So you end up with a, a really big percentage of devices out there that uh, are just running uh, frail uh, components. Um, and it, it's upwards of 60, 60% uh, that can actually be um, vulnerable today. Well, that's kind of scary. Uh, you convinced me that there's a problem. And, uh, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm curious, where, you know, where are you right now in terms of solving it? What impact have you already had? Well, um, we've, we developed the platform, as I mentioned, maybe um, we, uh, we, well, maybe I didn't mention, but we developed a software platform to help automate uh, and kind of make uh, some of that manual process around security uh, monitoring and vulnerabilities uh, automated. And so uh, if you think about a device that's running, uh, well, Windows device, uh, let's, let's say it could have 50 to 60 components on average. Um, whereas a Linux-based device could have a thousand, maybe two thousand components. And so you think about first of all understanding inventorying, if you will, uh, those components, and that's usually done manually through the registry or some other method. Um, and then uh, taking each of those and going out and doing what amounts to a search uh, on the component name to see if there's any vulnerabilities against it, uh, hugely manual and has to be continuous because we know vulnerabilities pop up. Um, you know, by the minute, really. And so uh, what we've done is we've automated that whole process. So uh, manufacturers can uh, point our solution at a device. Uh, it generates what's called a software bill of materials, which is an inventory list, basically, of all the components running on the device. Uh, and then that gets uploaded to the cloud. And once it's in the cloud, we do monitoring of a bunch of public uh, data sources of vulnerabilities. And we have some uh, algorithms that match those uh, components with vulnerabilities and continuously update uh, the software bill of materials. And so it takes that effort out of manually, uh, you know, first of all, listing all the components and secondly, then finding the vulnerabilities against those components. And then the piece of continuous updates is uh, just is running, you know, the agent is running in the background, always looking for vulnerabilities. And so when something hits uh, in the public uh, eye, we get it right away and we can inform the device manufacturer or the hospital about the vulnerability. So uh, there's a huge chunk of work there that is being being taken out. Um, in addition, uh, if if you know, um, there there are solutions out there today, as you know, that run uh, internet. So let's call it IT security solutions. Um, <clears throat> for the most part, generic solutions that monitor the network uh, for health, and they've been using these uh, IT solutions um, in big enterprises for many many years. Um, so there's uh, it was a, there was a popular fad a few years back. You know, the BYOD, bring your own device. Um, and so you could hook up your phone to your network at, at work or whatever, you could hook up your laptop. Um, and so uh, what happens in those, in those spaces and, and what has happened traditionally in, in general IT security is uh, you would load an agent, a piece of software on that uh, end, endpoint, let's call it. So that could be the device. And that endpoint uh, would then run, have a profile associated with it. And as it ran and associated itself with the network and created network traffic, you would monitor that with the agent and understand if there were any, um, you know, uh, crazy or misaligned communications, and that would uh, alert you that there might be an issue with that endpoint. Uh, and that's traditional internet security. Um, that only gets you so far with, with respect to, and this goes back to kind of the crux of the problem, 
that gets you only so far with respect to medical devices, because there are two issues on the medical device side. One, the medical device is a closed system. Uh, so you can't install anything on the medical device once it's deployed. So FDA, as we know, regulates healthcare and medical devices. When they say a device is commercially acceptable for deployment, they mean that that version of the device, exactly as it's built today, is uh, commercially approved. So any change, they call that off-label use, or any change to that device is not permitted by FDA in the field. So you have that, that problem. So those, all those traditional IT security uh, solutions can't really apply in the medical device space because they can't get to the device to install an agent. And secondly, just monitoring network traffic doesn't give you the foresight or the proactive capabilities uh, that understanding the vulnerabilities actually within the components of the device gives you. So in other words, if you're out ahead of the game, understanding that you've got Windows 7 on 20% of your scanners in your hospital, uh, and Windows 7 just came out with a severe or critical vulnerability, that gives you this proactive opportunity to respond to that. Whereas if you're looking at network traffic from your scanners and you see something that says, hey, there's an anomaly on your scanner in your emergency room, well, by then it's too late. Uh, you know, <laughs> the burglar's in the house at that point. So, uh, so th those are the two big issues in medical. Uh, that that and that that really kind of creates the space for having the software bill of material, uh, and then understanding this proactive response uh, to vulnerabilities. So, Ken, you're saving the manufacturers and hospital systems a lot of time, not having to do this manually, and and you're doing it in a way that uh, is permitted because you can't change the medical devices, like you were saying. Right. Um, are those the main benefits of what Vigilant Ops does? Is there any, I know you mentioned the regulatory issues. Um, are there legal or liability issues also that you're helping your customers with? Yeah, so there's, there, 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 that's a good question too, Joel. So the, from a regulatory perspective, uh, FTA is uh, coming out with a, what they're calling their, well, I'll, I'll short name it's a pre-market guidance. And basically, uh, there's a long title to it, but FDA has put out these guidances for many years to uh, aimed at medical device manufacturers. Uh, and the guidance documentation is meant to uh, recommend to medical device manufacturers how to secure their devices or, you know, per perhaps build quality into them, whatever the guidance uh, is specifying. This pre-market guidance FDA is coming out with, uh, they drafted it in 20, believe it or not, 2018, at the end of 2018. Uh, and they've been in draft mode uh, for the last few years. Um, I actually went to FDA and helped uh, craft some of the, the legislation, the documentation for the guidance uh, a few years back. And I've been on committees that have helped um, provide comment on the guidance. And so uh, it's looking like the guidance is going to come out in 2023. But at the end of the day, what the guidance is specifying is from an FDA um, perspective, they want to see the medical dev device manufacturers are doing exactly what we just said, that they're building security into the devices way upstream in the development process, but they're also monitoring for vulnerabilities uh, once they're released. They're providing security updates uh, on a timely manner to their customers. And they're also providing what's called that software bill of materials. Uh, all that's specified in the guidance. And so when that does come out in 2023, device manufacturers will be held to that. So that's a regulatory challenge. Um, from a legislative perspective, there's a lot happening. Uh, President Biden passed an executive order in May of 2021. Uh, Executive Order 14028, uh, cybersecurity uh, to improve the nation's infrastructure is what it was called. Um, from a critical infrastructure perspective, uh, the idea really was to protect uh, the U.S. Uh, in industries that could 
uh, be crippled in a sense uh, by a cybersecurity attack. And you can think of all those industries, which makes sense. The, the power grid is a good one. Um, healthcare, certainly. Uh, water, you know, um, the, the food uh, distribution systems, all those would be critical infrastructure. Uh, and I mentioned healthcare in there. Uh, so the legislation is uh, pushing uh, and the law now is in place. I uh, think everybody a year to, to abide by it. So it was 2021 May. So this uh, May of 2022 uh, went into effect. But uh, a software bill of materials is required now to do business with the government. Uh, so if you want to provide service uh, to the government, software to the government, uh, you need to provide software bill of materials and you need to show that you're monitoring vulnerabilities. So again, uh, they're looking at this deeper level, understanding components, understanding vulnerabilities and trying to take a proactive response uh, to those. Uh, so those are a couple of big challenges across the world globally. Uh, other regions have implemented very similar uh, legislation and, and uh, regulatory requirements. Uh, so GDPR, uh, the global data protection uh, uh, in Europe, in the UK um, as well have uh, are on the SBOM or software bill of materials bandwagon. They're requiring those vulnerability monitoring and documentation. Um, APAC uh, region, uh, Australia, uh, if you look at South America, they're all following suit uh, with FDA Health Canada, uh, implemented about a year and a half prior to FDA uh, uh, in 2023. So it's been already in place uh, for Canadian organizations to have this uh, documentation. So there's quite a bit of legislation uh, there's quite a bit of regulatory stuff. Um, and then one last thing I'll throw in is uh, FDA recently, uh, just to make it up the game a little bit from a uh, device manufacturer perspective, uh, they went to Congress and asked for legislative authority to enforce uh, that pre-market guidance that I mentioned. So uh, if FDA, if that is approved, uh, it will be something FDA can uh, chase manufacturers for uh, from a legal perspective as well. So it won't just be FDA recommendation, it will be a law. Uh, so quite a bit happening uh, from the perspective of security around medical devices, specifically healthcare uh, around the world. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned here in the U.S. for sure. Yeah. So Ken, keeping in mind that I am a finance guy, uh, not a tech guy like Joel. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what my understanding of the current cybersecurity is that it's constantly looking for immediate threats. But what I hear you saying is that you guys go deeper. Essentially, what I'm hearing you say is you're actually going out and looking for vulnerabilities and looking for threats before they actually happen. Am I hearing that correctly? And can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, Scott. Yes, you are hearing it correctly. Um, so, you know, one of the ideas is, you know, to be proactive on this. I mean, there, there are zero day attacks, which I know you've, you've probably heard of. Um, and from a cybersecurity perspective, a zero day attack is uh, something that you're not pre-warned of. In other words, nobody has any idea that that vulnerability exists and, and uh, you know, maybe a hacker could exploit that before anybody knows. So manufacturers, so I'll pick on Microsoft, for example, uh, could have a zero day attack against one of their services uh, and uh, meaning that they don't know that there's a vulnerability uh, in that service until a hacker exploits it, right? Uh, so those are really difficult, as you can imagine, to uh, to uh, ferret out ahead of time. And even the manufacturers that own the software have a hard time doing that. So I'm not saying we're at the zero day attack stage, but what we're trying to be is uh, more proactive uh, than uh, finding out uh, after you know you've got the vulnerability. So we're going out to multiple sources. We're uh, working with researchers in the field. We're getting all the latest data around vulnerabilities and we're uh, kind of funneling that and pushing it into one place. And then we're aligning that with components that exist in your device. So think of yourself as a, ma a device manufacturer. You have a device that's running, let's say, 100 off-the-shelf components. 
um, on any given day, how do you know uh, the risk profile of that device based on the vulnerabilities that could be applied uh, to those components? Uh, and then once you, if you go out and find the vulnerabilities, uh, how do you then align those back with the products uh, in your portfolio to understand they're actually impacted, right? And so all that work is what we do. Uh, and that's the smarts of the system. We go out, look for vulnerabil vulnerabilities. We bring those back in. We then align those and uh, match them up to components that are running in uh, devices. And then we alert the device manufacturer that these particular devices have these vulnerabilities in these components, uh, which saves a tremendous amount of work, as I said. So that's about as proactive as you can get right now. Ken, uh, this is probably my favorite question. Uh, I love hearing this, the answers to this, but what kind of customer validation have you received for Vigilant Ops? A couple of good, and that's a great question, Joel. I mean, a couple of real nice uh, um, uh, feedback, or I would say um, good feedback and, and validation from customers have been really around, uh, one was on the, the uh, FDA, uh, sub submissions. So I mentioned that pre-market guidance, um, even though FDA came out with it in 2018, uh, they dropped a, a updated draft in uh, beginning of this year, April of 2022. Uh, but in between there, uh, they've been enforcing this uh, submission of cybersecurity documentation with product um, as, uh, for your 510k submissions. Uh, and what that means basically is uh, a med medical license manufacturer, as they're releasing a new version to a product, or they're maybe coming out with a new product, uh, they go to FDA and they submit a bunch of documentation, tell about, about the product, how it's supposed to work. And then FDA takes, you know, takes their time going through it and gives you approval or comes back with questions. Normally, um, they've been kicking back a lot of uh, submissions because they didn't have cybersecurity documented properly. Uh, we worked with an organization that was small, uh, a, a, a startup doing software as a medical device, uh, and we helped them put their submission together. Uh, the first time they put the submission together without us, it got kicked back. Uh, by FDA, we, we worked with them, uh, shored up the cybersecurity piece of it, and they were able to get their submission approved by FDA. So that was that was really good validation that uh, you know they were in compliance with cybersecurity because they were using our tool. Uh, the the other um, nice feedback that we received was uh, from an engineering perspective. Um, engineers uh, from a big medical device manufacturer were spending uh, upwards of. Uh, Twenty percent of their time. So we got the um, the the actual numbers were. Uh, an engineering team of about 15 was each person was spending about 20% of their time uh, just tracking, trying to track vulnerabilities. Um, after installing our product there, uh, it's practically zero uh, for, for those guys. It's all automated. So another good piece of uh, validation. So yeah, you're telling me you can story. help customers save time and you can help them get through FDA. That's pretty validating. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yep. So, uh, and then. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Okay. So Joel asked his favorite question. Now it's my turn for my favorite question. <laughs> okay. uh, so we are startup impact radio. Uh, we love to talk about impacts. Um, so from a, from a global perspective, how, how would you make the world a better place? Yeah. I mean, our hope is that, uh, you know, I'd love to see uh, this, uh, our, our platform used uh, really across the supply chain. So we started with, with healthcare. Uh, because that's where I come from. I come from the medical device space. I come from the med tech uh, industry. So I know that area really well. I know the challenges there. And we were able to build the platform uh, in a sense to solve that problem. But we built the platform agnostically with respect to industries. And we're able to support cybersecurity across multiple industries. Because if you think about it, 
uh, if you think about an endpoint, just called generic endpoint, not a medical device at this point, um, they're all pretty much the same under the covers. They're running some operating system. Uh, they've got some uh, software components that are vulnerable to security uh, attacks or issues. Uh, they're all running on some network and they're all exchanging data uh, in the most secure way they can. And what we're doing is, uh, you know, we're building ways to protect those. And, and we're trying to say, you know, up and down that supply chain, uh, we can be uh, the, the solution that really helps secure uh, the supply chain across all industries. So one day I would love to see SBOMs or software bill of materials being exchanged up and down the supply chain. So if you put out a piece of software uh, that somebody's going to consume and use in their product, uh, you should supply a software bill of materials with that so that the consumer of that can then track the vulnerabilities and understand the security of that. And when they put out their product, they supply the software bill of materials to their consumers who then can understand that and on and on. And I think that um, that's our biggest, that would be our biggest impact to really help secure that supply chain uh, up and down from uh, producers uh, through consumers. Ken, we need to talk about putting those S-bombs on the blockchain sometime. That that seems like a great application for that. I, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, that, that's right. Yep, yep. That's something we've been talking about internally. Yeah. Hmm. Great. Um, so just a few more questions, then we'll switch gears. Uh, is there a lesson learned you could share with our audience you know, over the last several years of, of running Vigilant Ops and getting it off the ground, anything you've, you've learned from that experience that you, you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could start with the, um, really, uh, it, it's, it's a learning experience, um, especially uh, if you think about it from a, uh, you know, a, a customer or a uh, kind of an audience perspective. And maybe uh, my advice, I guess, to entrepreneurs who are, uh, you think about, a, a complex field like cybersecurity, um, uh, to, to remember that, to, that your audience may not be where you are uh, with respect to understanding the solution of the, maybe even the complexity of the problem. Uh, so be prepared to spend a decent amount of time uh, getting them up that learning curve. Um, when we first started talking about uh, software bill of materials, uh, quite honestly, uh, two and a half, three years ago, um, most of the folks we talked to didn't understand what a software bill of materials was or did, had not heard of it, right? Uh, now it's, you know, it, at least in my in my domain, it's pretty well known. I mean, it's, uh, and, and it will be more well known to the general public sooner uh, rather than later, but we spend a lot of the time in education and uh, and that's something, you know, to kind of be prepared for that, you, you know, you may have to do that if you're in kind of a complex space uh, in trying to create a solution uh, for folks that it's a little outside the box um and uh, uh you know so uh, you know have uh, don't go at it from a purely technical perspective understand how the problem relates to the the audience and then uh you know phrase that in a way that they can relate to uh, is, that's what i would say is our biggest lesson admittedly i had never heard of an s-bomb before i started reading your website before in preparation for this so I, okay you, you, you taught good. me something new for sure oh good good uh, that's good so Ken, you mentioned uh, that you came from the medical device world. Um, I'm wondering if you could expand a little bit on your origin story. How did you get here from uh, from where you came? Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, I started in, uh, uh, well, way, way, way back when. I'm a technology guy too, like Joel, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, and uh, uh, I have my roots here in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm a CMU alum uh, and uh, still do a lot of work actually with CMU. Uh, to this day, um, when I uh, I started my career in medical with Medrad, uh, which is a was the medical device uh, company here in Pittsburgh, 
uh, in Indianola, actually. Uh, and uh, Medrad uh, was part of a, a bigger organization based in Europe that was a pharmaceuticals a company that was purchased by Bayer uh, during my tenure. So I ended up uh, as a Bayer uh, person uh, working on medical devices. Uh, and I started off uh, really on the, uh, as a as technology person working on the medical devices, um, just by happenstance, honestly, I got a call one day from a field representative uh, at, uh, at MedRad, uh, and they said, we're getting some questions from the chief information security officer at this hospital. We're trying to sell one of our devices, and we're not quite sure how to answer these questions. And so uh, they said, can you get on a call with these guys? And so I did, and we talked it through, and I gave them some, you know, back then, it was kind of okay to do it verbally. They they uh, said, okay, well, okay, you said your product's secure. We'll, we'll take your word for it. Uh, and now you can't get away with that, obviously, but that's how it kind of started. It, it started like that. And I said, you know, there's there's an opportunity here. I think I, think I can help you guys uh, in the field. Um, why don't we get a little proactive? Let's set up some security for our devices. Let's understand a little bit more about where customers are heading with this uh, and start to shore that up. And then pretty soon I was getting calls from everywhere. Um, there are tens of thousands of devices, uh, bare devices installed globally today. Uh, there's a huge field force out there supporting all of those. Uh, so my job uh, morphed into something like supporting all those uh, devices in the field, then working with the legal team uh, to help them craft uh, agreements with customers around security, uh, responding to FDA, uh, compliance, 510K submissions. I mean, it all just uh, rolled from there. Uh, and so that was my uh, trial by fire, um, you know, working uh, at the tip of the spear, if you will, on security, and then just kind of grew up from there. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, uh, Scott, that uh, I, I realized all the questions we got from customers, all of the things that we talked about from a security perspective, uh, you know, really kind of shoring up the best we could, uh, still wasn't scratching the itch. I mean, we really weren't getting at that component level. So, you know, one of the things I hated to do was I walked into the, these boardroom discussions and we'd say, okay, we're spending, X dollars on uh, security for our devices, uh, does that guarantee us 100% protection? And the answer, of course, is no. Um, you, you can never guarantee 100% protection. So uh, you're fighting this, this uphill battle entirely. Uh, and the question is, you know, how can you make it incrementally better? That was the question. But I said, you know, I think we can make it more than incrementally better. I think we can actually uh, turn the solution on its head and look at a deeper level inside the devices try to understand those components and get a little more proactive on it uh, to give us kind of a fighting chance, if you will. And so then uh, I, I saw that opportunity. I looked and saw there was really no, no solutions at that time. And as you mentioned, um, uh, you know, SBOM was not really talked about very much. And so I kind of took that as my chance to jump out and uh, work on creating a solution to automate that. Uh, and that's how I launched Vigilant. Um, and then of course I had a lot of connections in the in the medical uh, uh, space uh, because of the years of Bear, and I'm the chair. I'm still the chair of a global cybersecurity working group um, that uh, works through device issues across the world, uh, and uh, also a member of multiple uh, associations that work on cybersecurity in the healthcare sector. Um, so I, I maintain those connections, uh, which is also helpful for, for vigilant uh, as well. So. Great. All right, Ken, probably our favorite part of the episode after asking our favorite question, Scott and I, <laughs> is talking about your favorite drink of the last uh, month or two. Mine has been Hudson Whiskey, New York, do the rye thing. Mm. If you like rye whiskey, okay. that is my current fave. Uh, what about you? What are you 
drinking nowadays alcoholic or otherwise yeah yeah no i'll i'll go alcoholic uh, can, uh, <laughs> uh yeah no uh i've been on a martini kick um okay so yeah it's it's been interesting um uh, i started a little while ago uh, and i got kind of all the I, I picked up kind of along the way the, the all the all the the ingredients needed to kind of make a nice home-based martini and uh uh, I've been experimenting a little bit. I, I like vodka based, um, and, uh, martinis personally. Uh, but I, I've been making a bunch of different ones. Um, so it's, uh, it's, some of them are a little bit kind of homemade ish. Um, some I follow recipes for, uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, it, it's, it's different, especially in the summertime. It's really refreshing. Uh, if you do like, I, I did a, uh, a kind of a, a, a lemon based, um, not quite a, a lemon shot. So it was a little less strong than a lemon shot. It wasn't just straight vodka with a little lemon juice. We did a little, I did a little fancy with a little bit simple syrup and some homemade sours that I put together. And uh, it was, you know, fairly tasty and it was refreshing. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I'd have to say uh, across the gamut, I'm kind of into the martinis right now. Okay, that's great. Scott, what about you? What are you doing nowadays? You know, my 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 friend made up this drink. Her Her name's Maureen and we call it, after her a mofa show um <laughs> it, 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 it's a tequila with soda water and lime pretty simple but very de de very delicious and very refreshing nice nice i like that nice. very cool we're gonna have to switch gear to winter you know drinks yeah soon not too long <laughs> that's right well the pumpkin beers are out already as you as you say <laughs> I think they've been out for like a, a month or two already. I was just going to say, they, they come out early. It's like the Halloween decorations or the Christmas decorations. They come out earlier and early. Yeah. Soon it's going to be beginning of summer and we're going to be drinking pumpkin beers. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That's well, Ken, it was great to have you on the show. Um, well, thank awesome you. to talk to you. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. It all helps. You can follow me on LinkedIn at joel-reed-oa and follow Scott Tobe on LinkedIn at scotttobe-sfp. And Ken, what's the best way for people to follow you and Vigilant Ops? And you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, for sure. Uh, Vigilant Ops, we're at uh, vigilant-ops.com. Uh, so welcome to find us there. Uh, we've got a lot of resources on cybersecurity. So if you visit, uh, you can download a bunch of things on incident response and how to set up a good program uh, with responding, uh, responding to security, best practices for uh, device security, et cetera. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again. We'll see you next time.